Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. chapter 5. And uh, Jason helped us get to the first part of it last week, where we looked at verses 1 and 2. And now today we're going to look at verses 1 through 7, even though I think on the outline it says 1 through 8, we're only going 1 through 7. And uh, I know you read them just a little bit before, and, uh, but I'm going to start by reading the first two again. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's how it's read in the NIV. Let me read it from the ESV. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let me read it from the NLT. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Remember the first three chapters of Ephesians explained how it is that we were loved by God. The first three chapters of Ephesians explained that we were outside of a relationship with God, that we were Objects of His wrath. That we lived according to our sinful desires and our flesh is what led our lives and guided our lives. Then we get to, and we found out that in those three chapters, the grace and mercy of God. That through His Son, Jesus Christ, we were offered life. It said that we literally went from death to life. That instead of being dead people walking, we became alive in Christ. And that that was a plan of God since before time began. And that upon receiving that incredible gift of salvation that was free to us, although it cost God everything, that we would be adopted as His sons and as His daughters into the kingdom of heaven. We would be adopted. That means we would be chosen. It would be a choice of the Father, not because of who we are, but because of who He is. If you have not heard me talk about it, on December 1st, I need you to mark on your calendars that you will you'll be here. It's going to take our whole church to manage this one. We are extending our church, ourselves, our time, and our resources to foster families who have made the choice to love kids who have no one right now. And most of us, because of situation, life situation, can't bring those kids into our own homes. And those kids were chosen by those families to love, even at the sacrifice of their family, the sacrifice sometimes of their biological kids, the sacrifice of sometimes harmony within their marriage, sacrifice of their resources. And they brought the kids into their homes. And they're loving them. Those kids didn't have to do anything to be worthy of that love. They didn't have to do anything to be worthy of that place. They were simply brought in out of the love of those families 
to love them. And so on December 1st, we're going to invite them to drop their kids off here, biological and foster kids. And we're going to treat them to a special night. And we're just going to love these kids. In the process, we're going to love their family, the parents. And we're going to send the parents out for a night. And we're going to pay for their dinner, and we're going to pay for their entertainment, whatever it is. We're going to give them a little package. And churches, our church, Hamilton Baptist, Percival Baptist, and uh, um, Headway, and other churches are all going to team up to make this thing happen. So we can say to those families, well done. So we can say to those families, you're loving these kids well. So we can say to those families, we care. And thank you for choosing to love and not waiting for somebody to be worthy of your love. And who better to proclaim that and to have a night where we say that than those that follow Christ because we know it better than all. That we did nothing to earn the love. We go through our life and somewhere along the line we think that we're pretty good people. We are not. Our God is an amazing God is a loving God, is a perfect God, is a righteous God, is a holy God, and He chose to love us and bring us into His kingdom, call us His sons and daughters, and give us every blessing in the spiritual realm. He equipped us to pour into one another's lives, to extend His love to people. He equipped us to teach His word, which is what's going to happen in Romania. He equipped us to pray for one another, and to carry one another's burdens. He equipped us to do just that. So Paul then gets to chapter 4 and he says, now, we're going to live different. We're going to be a different people. We're going to be a set-apart people. For those that follow Christ, here's what your life is going to look like. If you were stealing, steal no longer. If you were lying, lie no, no more. And he tells us what we should be doing instead. And he gets to 5 and we see this. Imitate God. He gives us a new, not a new word by any stretch, but just kind of recaptures it, gives us a new phrase, and he says, be imitators of God. As beloved children, and walk in love as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us. When Christ gave himself up for us, out of the love that he had for us, it says in this passage that that moment, it was a fragrant offering to God. It was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. One that does not think of its own. One that sacrifices for another. One that is motivated by love for another. That their lives would be exactly what God intended them to be. That they would know the hope and the grace and the mercy of God. That is a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord. That's who we're to be. We're to imitate God in how we live. He hasn't left his train of thinking. He's just moving it in a different direction now. He's going to take on some other things that we're supposed to be mindful of. He's going to tell us some ways in which we should act and some ways in which we shouldn't act. Because if we're going to imitate God, to be people of love, a love that is sacrificial, a love that's a pleasing sacrifice to God, an aroma that's pleasing to Him, then there's going to be some things that we should do and shouldn't do. And so he keeps going. And he says this. He said, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. 
nor there should there be obscenities, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. The idea here is this. There are certain things that don't go together. And the Holy One of God, we're made holy when Christ, when we receive Christ's forgiveness, when we enter into the kingdom, we're made holy by His work, right? We're justified by His works. And then we go through a process of our life learning how to live in the midst of that holiness called sanctification. The Holy Spirit is with us, guiding us and teaching us. The Word of God is available for us. And we learn to live a holy life that we are intended to. We learn that our life would be identified by Christ through the whole thing. Every area, every aspect, every word, every thought should be imitators of God. It should identify with Christ. You ever thought about those things that don't mix? Oil and water, they don't mix. Citrus and milk doesn't mix. Aluminum and microwaves, they don't mix. <laughs> yeah, they don't mix. You ever thought about some of those things don't mix? How about glass houses and stones? They don't mix too well. How about alcohol and life decisions? Those don't mix. Paul is saying here that a holy person, one who's been transformed, one that's been renewed. There's certain things that don't mix with your life. We're going to stay away. And he uses a really interesting word. He says hint. There shouldn't even be, not only do we not do it, but there shouldn't be a hint of it in our lives. Ever watch those cooking shows? And they're judged, right? And so they cook these meals, and then there's, they get brought before the judges, and the judges take that fork, and they pull off a really small piece of food, and they eat it, and they start to, they start to describe the flavor, flavors that are coming out of it. And they say things like, I taste a hint of cinnamon. I taste a hint of allspice. I don't know what they say, but, you know, they, they can taste what has trickled through it. And it's usually like a little pinch or a little this. And me, when I cook, I'm like this. And it seems as if a hint will do it with most spices. You get where Paul's going with this? Shouldn't even be a hint. Because a hint of sexual immorality, of hint of impurity, a hint of greed should not be found in the person that has been transformed by Christ, living a holy life, who seeks their life to be full of love that is a sacrifice and a fragrant offering. You see, because what we've done is we have turned the word love into a selfish word. That's what we've done. And we've aligned it with sexuality. And we've said things like, I want this or I want that. I'll love you if you do this or you do that. I'll love you if you love me back. If I feel taken care of, then I'll stay with you. I'll love you. Otherwise, I'm just going to use you for my purposes and my needs, and then I'm out. It's not love. That's selfishness. That's sin. That's disobedience. That's wickedness. Love lays down its life for another. Love seeks the best for another. As imitators of God, we're going to hold captive this sexual love 
and use it for the benefit of the person who's receiving it. And use it within the boundaries and the confines that it was given to us. There shouldn't be a hint of it being used in any other way. There shouldn't be a hint of it being a selfish love. There shouldn't be a hint of it being a prideful love. There shouldn't be a hint of it. His children pursue holy passions and desires, and they forfeit unholy desires and passions. If we're going to imitate God, we pursue holy passions, and we forfeit unholy desires. In Romans 8.29, we're told that God pursues we're told in Romans 8.29 that God's purpose to redeem us from sin and to see us conformed to the image of His Son. The whole reason why He saved us and pulled us out of sin is that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. Matthew 5.8 instructs us that to be conformed to Christ is to become perfect just as God is perfect. Now because we're so nervous about coming across as, as legalistic, fundamentalists, we're so careful that we forget that these passages exist, that we are truly to pursue holiness. We are truly to pursue perfection. That when God says this is the standard, that is the only standard that those that imitate God are to pursue, is that standard. We're not supposed to change it, taint it, rearrange it, restate it. We are supposed to pursue that holiness. Grace will continue. Forgiveness will be needed. Yes, there's the statement out there that says nobody's perfect, and yet we are supposed to pursue perfection. Yes, it's true. This side of eternity, we will not be perfect. And yet our passion should be to pursue the perfection of holiness. That should be our passion. So that we abstain from the hints or the actions or anything else that God calls holy or unholy. We run towards holiness and we run away from unholiness. Let's look at these words. Sexual immorality. We get the original word, pornonea, which we have then translated into our modern word, pornography. But it's a broader understanding. It's more than just looking or seeing. Spiritual immorality is anything outside of marriage between a man and a woman, which is God's holy design. It, it, it is pornography, but it's also casual sex. It's sex before marriage. It's sex between the same gender. It's sex with others while I'm married to another. It's sex with children, and it's sex with animals, and it is any type of sexual immorality that exists outside of sex between a man and a woman in marriage. It's not to be a hint among the followers of Christ, the imitators of God. Impurity. It's a more general term than pornonea. It's referring to anything that's unclean and filthy. Jesus used it to describe the rottenness of a decaying body in a tomb. The other ten times the word is used in the New Testament is associated with sexual sin usually referring to the thoughts or passions or ideas or fantasies and other forms of sexual corruption. It's our thoughts. It's what we dwell on. Are we dwelling on Christ, His holiness? The right use of 
this incredible gift of a sexual love, are we dwelling on those things? Are we dwelling on the impure, the unholy? What is it that we're dwelling on? Greed or covetousness. This is still referring to the same thing. Now, greed is that thing that says, I want what I want, and I want more of it, and I want it right now. Greed is I want it my way. Greed is I got to have more. Covetousness and greed is when I look at what you have, and I say, I want what you have. My desires are, are clanging within me, and I want to satisfy them, and I don't care what the Lord says, and I will be greedy and covetous in going and pursuing them and getting them. Greed is all about the self-love, the self-gratification. Greed is all about my desires. Shouldn't be a hint of that among those who are imitating God as dearly loved children. Walking in love is to worship and offer thanksgiving. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. To walk in love is to care about the people around us. To walk in love is to never make them their sin or the unholy use of something that God gave us that is holy and make that a joke. To defile it. To make it less than what it's supposed to be. To treat it as ordinary, common, because it is not. We are not to have filthy talk obscenities, or to turn normal, innocent comments into sleazy sexual jokes. It's not who we're supposed to be. Those words and those thoughts should come not come, should not come from the mouth of those who are imitating Christ. Instead, we are to use our, our words to offer thanksgiving unto the Father to thank Him for the life we have, to thank Him for the gifts that He's given us, to thank Him for the relationships that we have, to thank Him for the person, even though they might be walking in sin, that they've given us a relationship that we could walk with them and help them. Our thoughts should be centered on Christ and Christ alone. Our words should be words that honor Him and praise Him. They should be thankful words. Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We go to God, don't we? We ask Him for His will. We say, Lord, what is it that you want us to do? How do we make these choices? What is best? And He tells us what is best in His Word, that we would offer thanksgiving as part of our worship. We would thank Him for our circumstances. It says in James chapter 3 that cursing and worship should not come out of the same mouth. Because the two don't go together. Holiness and unholiness don't mix for the follower of Christ. Our words should not be profane words. Our words should not be obscene words. They come out of the same mouth that worship our God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do my words glorify God? Do my thoughts glorify God? Do my actions glorify God? That is our test. For the follower of Christ, the imitator of God, the one who walks in love, the one who seeks that their life would be a sacrifice that is a pleasing aroma to God. But what do I do? Is what I am doing holy? 
Does it glorify God? Is it loving somebody else or is it acting selfishly? Is it turning God's gift into an obscene thing instead of a holy gift that it is? Is it changing the boundaries that God made very clear? Is it seeking to fulfill selfish passions or to give itself away? Imitators of God give themselves away in love. They run towards holiness. and They deny unholiness. And then Paul draws a line. For this you can be sure. When you read that in Scripture, you stop, you hold still, you know that this is a thus saith the Lord type moment. For this you can be sure. No moral, impure, or greedy person. The three that he just outlined. No immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a person is an idolater. Those that love that more than they love the Lord Himself. Those that are committed to those, one of those three things more or instead of their commitment to God. Those that pursue the unholiness, to pursue the unholiness as opposed to the pursuit of holiness. Such a person is an idolater. That's their worship. Has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words or because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Do not be partners with those actions, with those thoughts, with those philosophies. Do not be partners with those words. Do not partner up with those actions. We are to be a people marked by repentance and grace, not by perfection. This one is not calling us to, yes, we are to live perfect as the Father is perfect. Yes, that is true. But it's not saying that unless you are perfect, the kingdom of heaven isn't for you. That it's only for the perfect ones. There is no speak of this. There is no talk of this whatsoever. We were in Christ. We were brought into Christ and the family of God as imperfect people. We were made and justified and made righteous and holy because of what Christ did. We were given the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that we would now know and learn how to live that holy life. And we will mess up miserably, it is true. Grace will abound through the whole of our lives, and I am so thankful for it, because I need it. But is your life marked by repentance? So in other words, is my identity in Christ that He is what I want, the pursuit of holiness is what I desire. I long to imitate my Father because I have received all those amazing gifts because the Holy Spirit is in me. And so I am constantly shown and reminded of when I leave the straight and narrow. Of when I pursue unrighteousness instead of righteousness. Of when my desires become unholy instead of holy. And then I repent. And I turn back to the righteousness of Christ. Now, there's going to be some sins in our life. There's going to be some bents in our life that are going to be brutal for us. We're going to fight them, and we're going to struggle with them. Christ's grace is sufficient. His power is enough. There's going to be a resistance to us in some of those areas. But when we realize we're back in the state of resisting, we repent and turn back to Him. Seeking to live as imitators, as children of God, Pleasing the Lord with our lives. You're kingdom people. That's why your life will be marked that way. 
For those who say no, no, I can do it my way. I can do it the way that I want to do it. No, God can have all these other areas, but not this area. At a Christian college, a coach recruited a player, brought that player onto his team and began to see some troubling behaviors, began to talk to him about his relationship with Christ. And he made this flat-out bold statement. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yep, I believe in Jesus. And I'll take all the stuff God has for me. And I'll follow along with most of your rules. Coach said, son, these aren't my rules. This is what holiness looks like. This is what the pursuit of God and the life he saved you to have. He goes, I can go along with most of it. Coach looked at him and said, most of it. He said, yeah, nobody. Not God, not the Bible, and surely not you are going to tell me what I can and can't do with my body. I, I don't get to tell that young man, nor did the coach. I don't get to declare judgment on him. But I do get to read this passage. And I do get to say, the kingdom of heaven is not for the sexually immoral, the impure, or the greedy. Son, please, spend time in the Word. Please, go back to the Father and listen. Please, surrender your life. It goes for every part of our lives. It doesn't matter what part. This section is talking about sexual immorality. Every area of our life. If Scripture said it's good, we pursue it. If Scripture says it's bad, we pull away from it. Every area of our life. For we are children of God. And we imitate Him. Always bringing our life into alignment with His. As we end today, I want to invite you. Maybe you're in a place that you need to bring your life into alignment. Maybe there's sin in your life that you need to abandon at the cross. That your life would be marked by repentance. Would you surrender that to the Father today? Would you turn from the way that you were walking and turn back towards the Father? May repentance mark your life. Child of God. Imitator of the Father. May it mark your life.